All right, church. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Nick Mastrude. I am the high school and young adults pastor here at Cedar Mill. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm feeling the love. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Um, and I am, in fact, Nick Mastrude. I think there was some confusion last week. Um, Josh got engaged to a cute blondie, and I was not the cute blondie that he was sitting by. But some people from behind, I think they were like, oh, there's, Nick, there's Josh and Hannah. No, I am Nick, and um, <laughs> greetings. Hello, love you guys. Um, Man, I'm really excited. I feel really honored I get to teach today, and um, it's a huge blessing for me. And uh, in honor of Father's Day, I just want to share a few quick words, and then we're going to continue our teaching series. But um, just happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, I just want to say great fathers and father figures change lives, and a lot of us have been recipients of that. And uh, I just want to say the work that you put in and the way that many of you have stepped up gives us a better picture of our Heavenly Father. And uh, I just want to encourage you, keep pressing into that, keep pursuing that, because it is changing our lives and we are better because of it. So, happy Father's Day. Um, man, th this morning we are continuing um, our teaching series um, on lessons from the life of David, and we're calling it Heart Matters, if you haven't been with us so far. Um, and I want to start by saying the scriptures are devoted greatly to portraying this man David's life. There's actually 66 chapters of scripture dedicated to just this fella, just painting the picture, the story of David, which causes us to draw our attention to that. If something, if the Bible's spending a lot of time talking about it, let's spend a lot of time leaning into it and learning as much as we can about it. Um, and lucky for me, this, uh, this Sunday, I get to talk about one of the most discouraging seasons in David's life. So, yeah, I'm going to need a little love, a little response, because... Um, it's just, a it's just a tough topic, but um, it might not sound very exciting to begin with, but the reality is this world offers us discouragement. Does anybody recognize that? Can I get an amen from that one? This world offers us discouragement, and you will receive discouragement in this world. We all face it, so because of that, um, I've been hoping and praying that today we as a church would begin to develop this fresh perspective on, um, on what it looks like to find hope when we have a discouraged heart. Has anybody found themselves here with a discouraged heart and they're like, I need a little hope in my life? That's what we're going to be talking about. Um, this life is unexpected. This life is unexpected. But the un unexpected things are kind of funny because um, that's the very thing that makes a joke funny right? But when an unexpected co thing comes up in your life that, that is, is not so funny, it's like a punch to the gut, right? Let me explain. I'll kind of break down what makes a joke funny, an unexpected twist. Let me explain here. There's two men, older guys, they're conversing to each other, right? One guy says, man, I went to the best restaurant the other night. The other guy's like, hey, what restaurant was that? Tell me about it. What's the name of it? And he's like, man, I have such a terrible memory. What's that red flower? this other guy's like, oh, a carnation? He's like, no, the one with the thorn on it. And he's like, oh, it's a rose. The guy turns to his wife. Hey, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant that we went to the other night? <laughs> See what I'm saying? An unexpected twist. So um, another one, just, since, just, just to keep it going. A game warden. Any fishermen out there? Or fisherwomen? A couple, maybe. Um, 
catches an unlicensed fisherman in the act, a game warden does, and he says, you're going to pay a big fine for all those fish in that bucket there. And he says, but officer, I didn't catch these. They're actually my pet fish, and I just bring them here to swim around. And when they're done, they jump back into my bucket, right? And he said, oh, really? I've got to see this. If you can prove it, I'll let you go. And the fisherman, he empties the bucket into the lake, waits patiently. A few minutes go by, nothing happens. The, guard, uh, the, the game warden says, so where are the fish? fisherman says, what fish? <laughs> Boom. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And um, a pastor, this is the last little joke, a pastor who goes by the name Dave Teixeira <laughs> preached under an hour. Uh, yeah. That's a joke because that would never happen, right? When Dave gears up, we're like, all right, get the popcorn out. It's going to be a while. So, um, the unexpected twist has the power to bring laughter into our lives, or it has the power to rock our world in the worst sense. We like unexpected punchlines, but an unexpected call from the doctor can be a punch to the gut. Or unexpected news from an unfaithful spouse is like an attack on the soul. Or unexpected news that you're being laid off from the job that supplies your family with an income. The question I'm inviting us to wrestle with as we look at David's life and seek after God's desire in is this, what do you do when things don't turn out as you as expected? What do you do when things don't turn out as expected? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, and we're also going to have it up on the screen. Um, so turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. And before we get in that, I'm going to kind of set up the stage for you. And um, we've already seen how David has been anointed by this guy named Samuel, and he's been employed by this king named Saul, and little David defeated this huge guy named Goliath, right? And David, he went from a shepherd boy to the biggest stud ever, right? He went from this little guy that nobody really knew to um, this guy where everything he touched turned into gold, like this guy that people were writing songs about. And David was unstoppable, and God, this was God's idea, right? God's idea, like, man, David, you are the guy. He was on his way to the palace. He was going to become a king. And suddenly, what looked like an awesome life took an unexpected turn. The unexpected crashed into his life. And one by one, all of the wonderful things in David's life were gone. To paint the full picture, let me walk through his circumstances. First off, David lost his job. He was promoted from a shepherd boy to this court musician to um, a warrior. And he was the most successful officer in the army of Israel. But then one day, Saul, the king, was possessed with jealousy. Dave talked about this a little bit last week. He was, he was just possessed with jealousy and threw a spear that sent David fleeing for his life. He lost his job. He lost his income. He lost his security. He went from being a warrior to being a fugitive. Imagine a loss like that. Next, he loses his wife. He had married Saul's daughter, the guy that's after him all along, Michal. Go ahead and try it. Give it a try. That's her name. Michael, Michal. I don't really know, but we're going to go with Michal just for fun. It sounds cooler. But then one day, Saul sent his soldiers to David's home to, to kill David. And um, luckily, Saul's daughter helped David escape, um, but she was taken by Saul. And Saul eventually had her marry another man. Father's Day lesson number one, don't do that, okay? 
Um, so David, now he's lost his job, okay? And that, then he loses his, his family, he loses his wife. So he flees to this town called Ramah, where Samuel lived. And Samuel was David's mentor, the one who kind of anointed him and kind of um, raised him up. So David thought, in, in, in a troubled time, I have a safe person, and his name is Samuel. He's the guy, so he ran to Ramah. But no matter how far David ran, it wasn't far enough. Saul heard about this. He sent his soldiers to Ramah, and David had to flee again. He left Samuel, and Samuel was an older fella, and shortly after passed away. But it doesn't stop there. Next, he flees and runs to his, his friend Jonathan. Um, let's see, yeah, Jonathan. We know, from, we know from Scripture that Jonathan actually loved David more than he loved himself. So this is a dude that David is like, this is the one person in the world David knew to the core of his being that he could trust with everything. Um, the only problem is that Jonathan's dad was the guy that was trying to kill David, right? So Jonathan stood up to his own father, Saul, and risked his own life for David. But Jonathan, he couldn't raise a sword against his own father. So David, once again, he lost his best friend and had to flee for his life once more. So if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is a man who is expecting a palace. He was waiting for the day that he would take the throne. He had wealth, he had power, he had beauty, he had fame and friends and security and what he thought was a guaranteed future, right? And this was all God's idea from the start. And now it's all gone. No money, no home, no friends, no job, no mentor. He's running for his life. He was expecting a palace and he ends up in a cave with no explanation of why and no guarantee that he will ever make it out. What do you do when things don't go as expected? This morning, I want to talk to you about the cave. In honor of Father's Day, we're gonna call it the man cave talk. Sound good? We're gonna explore the man cave. The cave is where you, it's not actually like the cool place in the garage. This is actually, the cave is where you end up when all of your props and all of your crutches and everything that holds you up, all of your masks get stripped away. The cave is where you end up when you thought you were gonna do great things for God. You thought that you were gonna have a, a great family or you were boldly going to go into unknown territory where no one had ever gone before, or you were going to continue to provide for your family, and you find yourself in a place when nothing is working out the way that you had planned. And I know that some of you here this morning are in a cave right now. You're in a cave of life. Maybe it's because you've lost your job or you're under financial pressure of some sort. For some of you, maybe it's because your dreams of having a family have been shattered Maybe you didn't get into the school that you hoped for. Maybe you've lost a spouse to death or divorce, or maybe you've always dreamed of being married. And now you're like, what is wrong? You're asking yourself, what is wrong with me? Or maybe you've lost a mentor or a good friend. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you made a bad decision back in the day and it's coming back to haunt you and it's led you into a cave. The list goes on, but for whatever reason, I know that some people here find themselves experiencing a cave moment in their life and it's dark, and it's lonely, you feel like you have nothing, you feel like there's nowhere else you can turn. Some of you, however, are not in a cave this morning, and we praise the Lord for that, because they're, they're hard, um, 
but I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the reality is you are either heading into a cave, you are in a cave, or you're just coming out of one, right? That's the reality of it. Nobody plans on ending up there, but sooner or later, everybody spends time in the cave. It is going to happen. What's hardest, I think, about being in the cave is you start to wonder, God, I'm right, I'm right here. Have you lost track of me? Have you forgotten your promises? You said that you were going to make great things in my life. You were going to use me for good. God, aren't you good? You said you're a good, good father. And we say, you're a good, good father. Where are you? Do you even hear me? Will I ever be anywhere but this cave? Everything was going so well until now. But why me? Why this? And you need to know one thing about caves that I think we need to learn to embrace and that's going to change our perspective in this reality is this. Caves are where God does some of his best work. In the caves of this life are where God does some of his best work. Caves are where God sometimes molds and shapes human lives like no place else. Sometimes when all the props and crutches and masks are stripped away from us, you will find that, you, that, that all you have in this world is God. You'll discover something, and it's this very real sense that God is enough. He's actually enough. All those props and crutches, you don't need those. God is enough for you. God really is enough. If you don't hear anything tonight, hear that. God is enough for your life, and he can support the, the deepest of caves in your life. He can support you in those moments. Sometimes, of all the places in the world, it's not the palace where you find God, it's in the cave. God, once again, does some of the best work in the caves. How do we find hope when our heart is flooded with discouragement? If you read through this story, you'll see that David, he spent about 10 years on the run. He was running as a fugitive, going from cave to cave, when from a human perspective, it looks like God's promises are never gonna come true. And those are really, really hard days in, in this life. Those are hard days, but let's continue to walk through the story. David, he actually wasn't entirely alone in this cave, in this story. He did have some people um, to come and form a little community, but they are not a real promising group of people. Some of you might know this. If you look in um, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says this. All those who were in distress or who were in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. This is a very interesting-sounding man cave, right? Some of you are here tonight and you lead a small group. How would it be if this was the description of your group, right? Not a super exciting small group to be a part of. Some of you, well, yeah. How's your small group this week? Well, all the people that are in debt, that are distressed, discontent, yeah, that's how it was, you know. That'd be interesting. Some of you are thinking, you just actually described my small group. And I just want to say, it's biblical. Stick it, stick it out. David did it. Be a David. So David spends years with these guys, and if you turn over, we're going to flip a few pages and then we're going to go back. But in 1 Samuel chapter 30, for a moment, eventually David and these men actually establish a kind of refugee community in a village called Ziklag. And they, they had taken wives, they'd gotten married, they were raising families, and they go raiding other, village, other villages, actually enemies of Israel. So one day they come home, and sure enough, their village had been raided. So... Um, everything that they had had been burned and their wives and their sons and daughters had been taken. It's a little bit of Christian karma right there is what I like to say. So, so this group of fugitives developed a community and even that got taken from them. Continues to get worse 
for David. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 4 says, So David and his men, they wept until they had no strength left to weep. They wept and wept and wept until they had no strength left. They didn't have another tear inside their body. They were so exhausted from crying and so sad that they couldn't continue. They wept aloud until they had no more strength, not a single bit. That sounds pretty heavy, very heavy, but for David, it's just about to get worse. If you continue to read in verse six, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in their spirit, uh, in, in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Now, again, let's think. David, here's David, a fugitive from his own country. His own king tried to kill him. His mentor dead. The Philistines don't trust him. His best friend is gone. He's a, he, he's a refugee. His refugee village is gone. He has this ragged little community, and they're ready to stone him. He has no one to turn to. And then, I think, comes one of the greatest practical statements in Scripture that we need to learn from today. And this is what it says. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. How do we learn the ability to encourage ourselves in the Lord? It's a wonderful thing to be encouraged by people, right? Do you have any encouragers in your life where you're like, oh, I just need to surround myself with them because they're going to lift me up and I'm going to be excited? Um, it's, it's always good to read a good book and be encouraged by that or listen to a podcast. But when you're in the cave and you don't have those resources, there's nobody to turn to, you can be encouraged by God. You can receive encouragement. And I think this is the great secret of the spiritual life. The great secret of the spiritual life is that there is encouragement in the Lord no matter how dark and deep and lonely the cave of life that you're in right now is. When every other resource is gone, every prop kicked out from under you, every crutch removed, you can find encouragement in the Lord. Now the question is, what do we do? How do we do that? How do we receive this encouragement? Well, I wanna look at David's life in the cave and start drawing out realities that we can take um, on from this, this man who is after God's own heart. If you're a note taker, write some of these down. We say in young adult group, what do we say? Any young adult? Note takers are world changers. That's what I'm talking about. Note takers are world changers. Let's take notes, folks. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that was. But David, so what does David, uh, what does David do to find encouragement in the Lord? Well, here's the first thing. Number one, if you want to find encouragement in the Lord, discuss your discouragement openly with God. I think this is a beautiful place to start. You must discuss your discouragement openly with God. You have to name it, and this is gonna take time, and it's gonna be hard, and it might be ugly for, for a while, but to put it simply, we need to name it to tame it, okay? Sometimes to tame the chaos in your life, you need to start by, by making it clear and understanding what it is that's actually chaotic in your life. There is power coming before God and pouring out your soul to him. There is so much power in that, and we see that in David's life. Let me give you an example. He actually wrote a psalm when he was in this cave, Psalm 142. Um, and this is a psalm for cave dwellers, really. And it's, he, listen to, listen to the, his heart's cry in the midst of this cave. It says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint. I just sit there and complain to God, like, this is a bummer. Before, before him, I tell my troubles. Imagine what this would be like. God, help me. 
seriously, have mercy on me. Are you kidding me? I, I was expecting to be a king, and why in the world have I lost everything? I'm sitting here in this cave. What are you doing? Everything you gave me has been taken away. My wife, my friends, my mentor, my... Why me, God? Are you listening to me? Do you ever get to the bottom of what you're actually feeling, what you're actually discouraged about? I think this is so, so true. No matter what impossible situation you're facing, the path to your breakthrough lies on the other side of pouring out your soul to the Lord. This is a beautiful first step. Man, if you're finding yourself in a cave, get alone for a while and just start complaining to the Lord. It's something that's powerful. The single most frequently used, frequently, um, frequent psalm in the Psalms is called a psalm of lament, which is like this fancy word of just complaining, just pouring it all out. Um, so uh, something that's kind of interesting is that um, God isn't really put off by that. Sometimes you think, oh, that's the complainer. I don't want to be around him. That's not how God is. God's like, man, I know that we're getting to the root of the issue. The more that you complain to me, let's get this all out on the table. Um, so if you want to be encouraged in the Lord, first step, just be real honest about the discouragement in your life. Name it. And secondly, wait actively. If you want to receive encouragement in the Lord, wait actively. If you turn um, to 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says this. Um, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. Has anybody ever asked you that? Maybe. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them, pursue them? He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So here's what's going on. David's a warrior, and he wants to go before God, so, so he has this ephod brought before him, which is an object that priests would use to kind of symbolize, like, these are the words of God. This is, this is what God is communicating to you. And David says, this group of people attacked our village when we were away. They destroyed our homes. They took our, took our possessions. They kidnapped our wives and sons and daughters. And they will at best be prisoners forever, or they will die if we don't rescue them. Should we go after them? Should we take action, or should we just sit here? What do you want from me, God? Waiting actively. And the ephod says, ephod says, go do it. Take action. Let's do this. In order to understand what he needed to do next, he waited on God. He didn't say, oh, we're going to get him. He said, bring me the ephod. Let's, let's get God's presence here, and let's, let's wait actively and see what God has to say about this. Have you ever heard someone talk about waiting on the Lord? I use this because it's like not actually waiting on the Lord. It's like just not doing anything. They're waiting, but they're not active about it. Like for instance, um, I've been meaning to get a job out of high school. I know it's been 10 years, but I'm still waiting on the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And they kind of use that to justify, or like I didn't get my homework done because I'm still waiting on the Lord's timing. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Or like I've been really needing to have this tough conversation, but I'm still waiting on the Lord. Um, there's a difference between sitting around and not doing anything and waiting and being active about it. And I think David, David portrayed this very, very well. In the caves of this life, be active in your waiting. What does that look like? Converse with God. Converse with God. Ask questions. Brainstorm. Journal. Think deeply about your circumstance, your situation. Cry out to, cry out to God. Ask mentors. Seek advice. But in the midst of all this waiting, seek God's voice in the process might not look like you're doing much, but you're being active in your waiting. 
What we don't see David do after he weeps until he can't weep anymore is crawl up in a ball and lay in the corner for the next few years, right? Even though it would have been so easy to do that. He begins to ask questions and he seeks God's will in the waiting. And sure enough, God gave him direction. The next point here, if we want to receive encouragement in the Lord is this, resist temptation. Resist temptation. If you turn now back to 1 Samuel chapter 24, I think there's a real important connection between temptation and your season in the cave. When you're in a cave, when you're in a dark season, when you're in living in discouragement, you will be more vulnerable. This is just truth. You will be vulnerable to any temptation that promises to get you out of the cave early, right? Anything, any temptation to help maybe medicate the, the loneliness or the darkness or to, or to convince yourself that it's not that bad, you will be tempted to run towards. Listen to what it says in, cha in uh, chapter 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Love that place. He came, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to do his business. David and his men were far back in the cave, right? The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. Now notice this. When he said to you, remember this, when he said this to you, I will give your enemy or give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and then cut off a piece of his robe. You know what I'm saying? Now, this was a way out of the cave. The, the reason he's fleeing is because this guy's after him. This is a way out of the cave. If you don't want to be in the cave anymore, take care of the dude that put you there, right? And David has a chance to stick it to the man. David has victory right here and now. It's right in his fingertips. Notice Dave, what uh, David's men say to him. They say, this is the day that the Lord spoke of. Start trying to justify and rationalize it. In other words, God promised you deliverance, and now here it is. Saul is here. You can do away with him. You can kill him. That must be what God wants. God doesn't want you to be unhappy, right? God, God doesn't want you to be miserable like you are in this cave, right? God doesn't want you in the wilderness wandering. Saul deserves judgment, remember? Heaven even knows that. This is a clear way out of the cave. It must be God's will. And he said this to his men in verse 6, the Lord forbid I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift up my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. It must have been so tempting. Think about that, how tempting it would have been for David. I could get out of the cave now. This is my ticket. But it, it would have been wrong. It would have been a shortcut that ultimately destroyed David, I think. It certainly would not have, it certainly would not have sent a good message to people with like, oh, if there's a king you don't like, what do you do? Yeah. I want to say some pretty serious words in, in this next, next portion here. Um, some of you, you're in the cave this morning and you're, you're, um, you're in a discouraging place for whatever reason, and there are shortcuts being offered to you. There's shortcuts being offered to you, and it's tempting. And the question that we need to begin to wrestle with is, will we submit to God's will? Will we trust him in the cave? Because may, maybe you feel so alone because you've been single for a long time, or maybe your marriage is in the wilderness. And there's another relationship that's promising 
intimacy and closeness and connection right now. That's a temptation to get you out of the cave for a quick moment. And it's so tempting to think this is so available and I'm so miserable and lonely in this cave and God wants me happy, right? I can rationalize this. But it's a shortcut. It's not God's will for your life. It contradicts his desire for you. And the question that your, your future in a very real sense pivots on is will you stick it out or will you take the shortcut? Will you do the hard work of seeking God in the cave? Will you say, all right, God, I'll spend more time in this cave as hard as it is. I will not take a shortcut out of here because I trust you. You are my support. Maybe you're facing financial temptation and the temptation is to deceive somebody to get what you need. And it's a good thing to, to support your family. Maybe it's a temptation um, that you have to just ignore a pattern of behavior that's disrupting your life. Maybe it's a temptation to just give up. Maybe you're pursuing God and, and it's becoming hard and you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna toss in the towel even though I know God's calling me to do this. I'm gonna give up because it's, it's not easy. Or maybe it's a temptation to just keep something hidden for another year. A shortcut in the cave might relieve you for a moment, but it can destroy the soul. It might relieve you for a quick moment. But as Dave would say, friends, do the long hard work in the cave. Do the long, hard work in the cave. God does his best work when we don't refuse the moments in the cave. Um, when, then there's this uh, fourth thing that is, that is involved in being encouraged in the Lord, and it's this. Find your ultimate refuge in God. Find your ultimate refuge in God. David uses this word refuge over and over and over again in the Psalms, and most of them go similar to this. God when I can't get myself out of this, I will not let go of you. I will find my refuge in you. I will trust in you. Finding ultimate refuge in God means, means this. You get yourself so immersed in God's presence and so convinced of his goodness and so devoted to his lordship that you find even the cave is a safe place for you to be because God is there with you like he was there with David. I want to make some, um, as we kind of transition, some, some close connections to this story here. I want to remind you that, that, that God is very familiar with caves. He's actually very familiar with caves. Jesus, the son of David, also had everything stripped away from him. He lost his position as a teacher, as a rabbi. He lost his safety. His friends turned his, their, their back on him. He lost the adoration of the cheering crowds that he once had. He had his life threatened by his enemies and his best friends, and he went to the cross and he died. Then, what'd they do with his body? Put him in a cave. The people thought, oh, he's finished. He's finished. But what they didn't know, what the enemy always seems to forget is that God does some of his best work in the caves. When you are in the cave, always remember that the best is yet to come. The best is coming. Hold on to the reality that the best is right there. Um, you can see it, but you might not be living. It might be dark and scary right now, but the best is on its way. This isn't the end. Caves are where God resurrects dead stuff. The best is coming, so keep pressing forward. I just want to encourage you to lean into that. So they put Jesus in a cave for a while, but it was only for a few days. 
They couldn't keep him there. I don't know about your cave. I don't know if you're in there now or if it's coming shortly. I don't know how scary it's going to be for you. But God does his best work in caves. And what you need in that moment is encouragement in the Lord. We serve a God who is in the business of comebacks. I don't know if you've heard this before. We serve a God who's in the business of comebacks. It looks like something's going on, but actually the the page turns and it's a completely different story. God has the end of the story. And, and we can't, I was thinking of this, we can't experience a comeback unless we experience a setback, right? We can't experience a comeback unless we experience a setback. What if we changed our perspective in life from avoiding setbacks to actually looking at a setback and embracing it so that we can experience the God of comebacks do his work? Instead of seeing, oh, this is a comeback, stay away from it, stay away. Like, oh, this is a very bummer situation. I recognize that. God, this is a bummer. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. I'm going to embrace it and say, God, I know that you're in me with this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience it. I'm going to have a front row seat at what you're in the business of, and that's coming back and doing your work. We get to take refuge in the ultimate king of the caves this morning. And that person is Jesus. We're going to take communion together in light of that. May we be reminded that the cave is temporary and that Jesus' time in the cave is where God did his best work of bringing us to him and him to us. May the bread and the cup remind us of Jesus' ultimate victory and remind us that he is more than enough for you and I. We don't need anything else to support us. He is more than enough for you. May we find encouragement in the Lord as we look towards the cross of Christ this morning. Let me pray. God, it's such a beautiful reality that you um, don't just sit there and watch us, um, watch us in the cave, lonely and dark and sad, and, and you abandon us. No, you draw near to us, you pursue us, and because of that, um, we are forever grateful. We're forever grateful, God. I just pray that the people that are discouraged and, and in a cave in this moment right now, I just pray that they would receive encouragement in you. I pray that we would be people who can be a mouthpiece that encourages other people who are in the cave, that we would be those advisors that come alongside and point people towards you. And God, I pray that we would learn to embrace setbacks so that we can experience how you're in the business of comebacks. God, we love you. We surrender ourselves to you. We take communion in light of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, you can go ahead and come forward and take the bread and the cup whenever you're ready.